great to be back. It's good to go on vacation, you know. You need a break every now and again, but wow, did we ever miss you guys. And when we were back in New England, we missed doubly the fact that it was 95 degrees and 95% humidity, and they don't know what air conditioning is back there. They've, they haven't invented it, or so, at least my parents' house. They, uh, I don't know how I did that as a kid. You know, kids are dumb, though. They don't know the difference. And now I'm an adult, and I know there is a such thing in the world as air conditioning. And it's a wonderful invention. I recommend it to you if you don't have any. Particularly because I came back here, and it was like 110 degrees. Yeah, but it's dry heat, right? It's not hot. Yeah. And my oven's dry heat, too, but I don't want to put my head in it. You know? So... Ah, well, anyway, while I was on vacation, I read a little news update from the World Health Organization, and what they said was that the H1N1 virus, swine flu, do you remember that? It was now, according to the World Health Organization, in a post-pandemic state, a post-pandemic state, which means that according to WHO, it is no longer a massive threat of, of spiraling out of control and causing you know, casualties. Some of those early casualty estimates were absolutely frightening to think about. And you know, I thought about the, the little news update, and I thought, well, let's see. I could be cynical and say, oh, the whole thing was just a hoax. Or I could respond with a heart of worship and say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, that all of those horrible projections and possibilities didn't come true. Thank you, God, for your hand of mercy upon this world. For life is that short. It's fragile. If it had gone pandemic and matched the projections they talked about, it would have changed life as we know it. Thank you, God, for your mercy. We escaped swine flu. But you know, there's another disease that is actually more dangerous and more deadly. This particular disease is especially repulsive and easy to spot in others and almost imperceptible in ourselves. This disease infects all of us, all who are children of Adam. We're born with this one. This disease, of course, I'm talking about is pride. The disease of pride. Pride is easy to spot in you and hard to spot in me. That is, when I'm doing the spotting. And vice versa, isn't it? And yet it's the human condition. The only way we really can get an accurate assessment of the level of pride in our own heart is we need someone from outside the box, outside the system, to do an evaluation, an analysis of us, and then to reveal those results. We, we need some lab tests from the great physician. The Scriptures do that for us. As the Holy Spirit of God takes the Word of God and applies it to our hearts, if If we have ears to hear, we're willing to listen to what he has to say to us. We can begin to get a picture of what we're really like. And it's ugly, by the way. It's ugly. There's nothing more that I'd like to do than stand up here and tell all of us how good we're doing. But if we were to do that, we would be less than honest and less than helpful. So this morning, what I want to do is, by the power of the Spirit of God, apply the searchlight to my heart and to yours. 
Let's take a look at what is deep inside of us. With regard to the issue of pride. C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, Mere Christianity, he has a chapter devoted over to the issue of pride. He writes there, quote, There is no fault which makes a man more unpopular and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. He's on to write, he says, And the more we have it ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. Ooh, that hurts. That hurts. Beloved, God has enabled this fellowship to accomplish some pretty amazing things. Pastor Jim was up here just a few minutes ago and and speaking of some of those things with regard to the preparation for the launch of Summit Bible Church, just the very fact that we're planting a church is pretty amazing. There aren't very many churches really in America that that actually participate in church planting. There are many who talk about it. There are few who do it. 28,000 phone calls, 4,500 visits, door hangers galore. That's just one small piece. God is doing some really amazing things. He's doing things in the individual lives of lots of us. There is a lot to celebrate. When I was away on vacation, I was thinking about some of all of this and as I was just praying and thinking and I asked myself and the Lord, what, what, God, what is the threat that we're facing? You seem to be really actively at work here, Lord, in this body. Stuff is happening. There's a, a lot to celebrate. Oh, Father, where can we go off track? What can disrupt all this? What can pull it all apart and Cause it all to come crashing down. The answer came back, pride. Pride. Many churches and many leaders have been consigned to the dustbin of history because they have forgotten one important reality, and that is that God shares his glory with no one. No one. So if we begin to think that what is happening is by our own power and strength, by our own wisdom, by our own godliness, we're in massive danger. So as we finish up the summer together and just a couple of weekends left of playtime, right? And then we're back to the grind. September will be upon us. I thought I would devote this week and next to the topic of pride and its antidote. It'll probably also set the stage well for a return to to Paul's epistle to the Romans, where we'll pick it up in chapter 14, where Paul addresses the issue of learning to live together in an understanding way. Nice foundation. So I want to speak with you this morning about pride. It is unlikely that Foothill will collapse due to external forces or pressures. If something comes at us from the outside, it will most likely drive us together. It'll deepen our faith and our commitment. Our danger lies internally. When Paul was finishing up at the church at Ephesus, you remember in Acts chapter 20, he warned them about the internal threats to the unity of the church. I think it's always true. It's the internal threats that are most dangerous. And that internal threat is generated from proud hearts. As I begin, let's just say this. I am not a humble man. And I live among a people who are not humble. I am a proud man. I don't even know how proud I really am. And you're proud too. 
This is a fight of faith. This is a fight that we need to engage in, and we need to engage in it constantly. We need to engage in it powerfully. And by faith, we need to gain a measure of victory. So what I want to do this morning is just ask and answer three simple questions. Three simple questions designed to diagnose the deadly disease of pride. So pretend you're in a doctor's office. First visit. You know, they sit there and they ask you all these questions. Trying to diagnose. So you're in the doctor's office. where That's where we are this morning. And there's really just... Three very simple questions, and they're, they're designed to diagnose this deadly disease so that we will not be counted among its victims. First question that the divine physician asks and answers for us is just simply, what is pride? I mean, if it's that deadly, that dangerous, what is it? Help me to have a little better understanding of it. Not what does it look like, we'll get to that in a minute, but what is it? Well, there are many Hebrew and Greek words that are used in the scriptures to try to convey the idea of pride. There's no single word, no single definition. The words translated into English as follows. Haughty is used as a synonym. Haughty or being lifted up, lifted up. Straining or stretching the neck. That's an interesting one. I think it must be something like this. Right? You know, kind of looking down. You got to have those half glasses to make it really effective. Stretching the neck. Straining the neck. Blindness is used to describe the condition of pride. Blindness. Arrogance is another one. Blindness and arrogance presumption, and insensitivity. Those are, those are just part of the word group that is used to try to capture this disease, pride. Now, in a, in a very limited sense, let me just say this up front. In a very limited sense, pride can be positive, even if it's used positively in the Scriptures. So let's just speak to that quickly, and then I'll set it aside, because it's a very limited sense. Pride is used in a limited sense, in a positive way. And it's used that way by the Apostle Paul. You just jot this down, check it on your own. The Apostle Paul uses it, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 to 15. And he talks there about his pride in the church at Corinth and their pride in him. And when he uses it in that way, there's, a, there's an understanding that what really lies at the core of it is that they understand their success. He understands his success. They should understand that their success is entirely due to the grace of God. That is, there's nothing within them. So on that narrow, limited basis, when you, when you understand that it's all about what God is doing, there's a biblically approved sense in which you can have a measure of pride. It's very small. It's very finite. Don't worry too much about it because it's not likely that you or I will stray into it very often. It's far more likely we will stray into the other kind of pride in which the Scriptures speaks in such a condemnatory fashion. Further trying to get a handle on what it is, I turned to the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, just a standard reference work. And according to the ISBE, I quote, Pride in relation to God... Pride is lofty self-sufficiency. Lofty self-sufficiency. Pride when directed towards God or in relation to God. And in relation to other persons, pride is haughty lack of concern for their well-being. So it's a combined notion of, I don't need God, I'm self-sufficient. Indeed, I am like God. And as far as other people go, I could not care less about them. I'm self-contained. I don't need anything. And I have no interest in you. Pride, by the way, is the oldest of sins. 
Open your Bibles up to Isaiah chapter 14. If you're using a pew Bible, page 697, where we find that pride is the source of Satan's downfall. It is the source of Satan's downfall. And it is, by the way, the wellspring of all sin. All sin can be traced back if you follow the chain far enough to this deadly disease called pride. So Isaiah chapter 14, and we'll just pick it up in verse 12. There the prophet is speaking, and and he begins his prophecy back up in verse 4. It says, take up a taunt against the king of Babylon and say, and he begins this oracle of judgment but gradually as he is speaking, he, he stops speaking directly to just the king and he begins to address the demonic person behind the king who is energizing him and is Satan himself. We see that verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Satan. Speaking about. His consuming passion to supplant God. The prophet Ezekiel adds a little bit more, and I won't turn you there. You just, Ezekiel 28, 17, if you're fasting, you can beat me there, go for it. But Ezekiel 28, 17, again, speaking of this same event, that is the fall of Satan. God addresses Satan again through the prophet Ezekiel, and he says, Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. This is Satan's fall. Attributed back to pride. The the notion that I will be like God. I don't need God. Self-sufficient. This is pride. Well, what are its symptoms? Okay, doctor, I now understand, at least generally speaking, what the disease is, what it's called. What are its symptoms? I mean, do I really have it? Oh, yeah, you got it. Yeah, but do I have a bad case? Yeah, you have a bad case. Is it fatal? Yeah, actually it is. It brings death. And in fact, unless, unless a substitute is willing to die in your place, it will bring your death. Of course, you know that substitute is Christ, right? So what are the symptoms? Well, I've given you a few. By the way, there's a great little booklet. I think it's available in the bookstore. It's called From Pride to Humility. I think it lists 30 different manifestations of pride just to try to get a, you know, a little bit of self-diagnosis going. Some of mine uh, occur in that booklet, I'm sure, but I, I think I have a few that the author didn't come up with. And so there's evidently more than 30 ways to manifest our pride. So let me just give you a few. Here we go. What are the symptoms of pride? Do I have it? How do I know I have it? Where do I look for it in my life? Well, how about this? It just it manifests itself as being ungrateful, critical, and complaining. Ungrateful, critical, and complaining. Romans chapter 1, verse 21, I won't turn you there, but Paul's talking about the fall of humanity, and it begins with their denial of God, and it manifests itself, according to Romans 1, 21, by having an ungrateful heart. A lack of gratitude is a symptom of a deeper problem. The deeper problem is pride. Ungrateful, 
critical complaining. Or how about another one? A refusal to admit fault. A refusal to admit fault. Or blame shifting. You know, that's when you get two kids, they're squabbling in the next room, and you walk in, and you say, who started this? And they said, they did. Blame shifting. Or just being defensive and combative. Defensive and combative. For example, Proverbs chapter 9. Go ahead and turn there. Page 648. Proverbs chapter 9, verses 7 and 8. Solomon says, verse 7, Proverbs 9, He who corrects a scoffer... By the way, keep your thumb in Proverbs because we'll be grazing there quite a bit. Proverbs 9, verse 7, He who corrects a scoffer gets dishonor for himself, and he who reproves a wicked man gets insults for himself. Do not reprove a scoffer lest he hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. When you reprove somebody, when you point out somebody's faults to them, and when you get back a double-barrel blast in the face, you know that what's behind that is pride. They're defensive. They're combative. They're blame-shifting. Manifestations of pride. Or another one, a lack of concern for others. A lack of concern for other people. Psalm 123 Just look to the left there a little bit. Psalm 123, verse 4, page 630. 123, 4. Psalmist writes, Our soul is greatly filled with the scoffing of those who are at ease and with the contempt of the proud. See how the psalmist links those together? The proud respond to people with contempt. Contempt. They just, hey, you get what you deserve. If you were like me, those bad things wouldn't happen to you. That's a proud response. Lack of concern. Couldn't care less about other people. Or another one. A desire to be noticed or well thought of. is another manifestation of pride. Do you ever notice how certain people you... When they walk into a room, everybody, you know, is kind of drawn to them. They become the center of attraction, the life of the party. It's pride motivating that kind of behavior. Desire to be noticed. Some people do bizarre things in order to be noticed. It's really a manifestation of pride. Or the desire to be well thought of, right? I want, to, I want people to think well of me. The reason I don't share the gospel with people is because if I do, they might think I'm foolish. And I want to be well thought of. Pride. Motivating this. Fear of man. Nice guy. You know, I'm a nice guy. It's pride. Or... Another symptom, self-exalting, self-exalting. Always putting themselves forward. Hey, look at me. Look at me. It's interesting. Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, What do you have that you did not receive? But if you received it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? I mean, what do you have? What do I have that has been given to me by God as a gift? Honestly. I mean, if you have good looks, I mean, if you had good looks, it would be a gift of God, would it not? Or intellect? Or athletic prowess? All of these natural endowments. You had nothing to do with those things. Those are gifts from God. And yet we take such Pride in our achievements. Such pride. Another manifestation of pride, another symptom of pride is self-pity. 
So it can, it can go in either direction. Pride is so deceitful and dangerous because it can manifest itself here in a person who's always putting themselves forward, right? Look at me, notice me. Or it can be over here manifesting itself in somebody who's in self-pity. Oh, no, you know, I couldn't do that. I... They're both manifestations of the same root disease. It's self-pity. It's, it's thinking that we deserve something. And we haven't gotten it. Couldn't help but notice in our Bible reading this year, we're reading through the Bible, Lamentations chapter 3, verse 39. Lamentations 3.39. Listen. This is one of those verses, by the way, when you're reading through Lamentations, you need to pay attention because there's little jewels tucked in here. So check this one out. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 39. Why should any living mortal or any man offer a complaint in view of his sins? Does it really say that? It does. It does. How can I offer any complaint in view of my sins? I mean, what do I deserve? Answer? Come on, answer? Hell! By the way, that's why you never ask for justice. Okay? Mercy is what you want. You pray for mercy, not justice. I mean, in view of my sins, what do I deserve? I deserve hell. If I get anything better than hell... I'm on the winning team. It just changes your perspective. It attacks your pride. Another symptom of pride. Being unteachable. Unteachable or immune to criticism. Or even angered by it. Proverbs 13, verse 1, page 651. Proverbs 13, verse 1. A wise son accepts his father's discipline, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. A wise son accepts it, receives it, and says, Okay, Dad, talk to me. The scoffer says, You got nothing to say to me. Don't talk to me. You got nothing to say. 19, Proverbs 19, verse 20. It's a little bit to the right. Nineteen twenty. Listen to counsel and accept discipline that you may be wise the rest of your days. Listen, accept it, receive it, welcome it. That you may be wise. Because the proud of heart is unteachable. They are immune to criticism. They are angered by criticism. They push it away. Pride can be manifested in another symptom here. That's talking too much. Proud people talk too much. They can also be talking too little. It's kind of one of these deals again. Proud people talk too much. Ba 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 ba. It's all about them. Then you got somebody over here and you can't get two words out of them. They don't talk at all. That's not humility. That's pride too. See, they don't want to talk because one of two reasons, probably. One, either they think everybody is below them, so why should they bother entering in to such pedestrian conversation? Right? Or, you're not worth me investing the energy into talking. So I'll just sit here and let everyone else carry the conversation. You're not worth it. Talks too much, talks too little. Another symptom. A lack of Scripture reading is a symptom of pride. A lack of Scripture reading or attendance in public worship. A lack of scripture reading, a, a lack of attendance in public worship is a symptom of a proud heart because what it's really communicating is I don't need to hear from God. I know all that I need to know. Why would I read the Bible? I read it once, or at least part of it. Why do I need to be in attendance among the people of God? 
I mean, they might need me, and occasionally I'll show up, but I don't need them. It's all pride. These behaviors are driven by pride. Lack of biblical prayer. A lack of biblical prayer. Originally, I had it written down a lack of prayer, but it's really a lack of biblical prayer because proud people can pray. Luke 18, we have the example of the Pharisee, right? But there he's praying to himself and says, I thank you, God, that I'm not like. And, you know, he talks about all these other people. That's, woof. Pharisees, they're so proud we can see it in them, right? Spotted a mile away. A lack of biblical prayer is a symptom of a proud heart. Why would I pray? I'm not really very dependent on God anyway. I've got it together. I can do it. I can carry this. I have my plans. Lack of biblical prayer. There's another one. Pursuing God's work your way. See how deceitful it can be? You can actually be involved in the work of the advancement of the gospel, God's work. But the pride comes in when it's my way or the highway. I know how to do this ministry. I know what's best in this particular situation. So we become jealous. Jealous over ministry. Certain ministry area. This is my ministry area. Don't come near it. These are my disciples. I don't want you talking to these people over here because I'm discipling them. Right? I'm discipling them. If you talk to them, you might mess them up. I'll disciple them. It can be so deceptive. We can be rigid. We can be stubborn. We can be headstrong in ministry. We can intimidate those who don't agree with us in ministry. It's all manifestation of pursuing God's work. Your way. And ultimately, if I can submit this to you, for your glory and not his. And that's where it really cuts deep. That we can be involved in a noble task, a a noble enterprise, and we can mess it all up because of our motives are so impure. We need to be aware of the danger of personalizing ministry. Owning it. Embodying it. Because then, if anyone criticizes the ministry, anyone suggests a a change or an alteration, or, heaven forbid, maybe the elimination of a particular aspect of ministry, they're directly attacking me. See, now if you critique the ministry, you're critiquing me. If you want to change the ministry, you're, you're messing with me. And I don't want to be messed with. So you don't, don't mess with me. It's the attitude to take. It's pride. Back in May of this year, we held a men's conference here. We had a couple of hundred guys. Came in from a number of different churches. And those of you who came, and there were 60 or so of you who came... When you came with your paid registration, you received a copy of a book called The Trellis and the Vine. How many of you have that book? How many of you have read that book? Some of you. We like that. We're going to give an opportunity for many more of you to receive the book and to read the book. Because the elders are committing themselves to taking a fresh look at how we do ministry around here. Five years ago, more than five years ago now, we spent a long time together. We established a a strategic plan, a 10-year ministry vision 
that we have been diligently pursuing as elders and as a congregation. And God has been has been blessing those efforts and things have happened. Summit Bible Church being just one practical example of the outflow of that kind of planning and concentrated effort. But it's time to look at things again. And as we have been praying and talking and looking at things, we've come to the realization that there are there are there's ministry being done around here that probably needs to change. Specifically, we're not sure yet what it is. But we need to be willing to take a look. Because from a resource point of view, we're tapped out. We can't add any more programs, any more stuff to the deck. You should look at the church calendar. It's crazy busy. So we were made aware of this book called The Trellis and the Vine, and we have read it. Some of us have read it multiple times. And we are really captivated by the author's fresh look at the way ministry is done. And simply put, it's this. Just like in a garden, you have a trellis and you have vines that grow on the trellis and you have to have some trellis to support the vine. We're not in the trellis making business. We're in the vine business. That is, we're about making disciples. They're the vine. And the default mold, the easy thing to fall back to is trellis building, not vine work. And so we want to re-examine all that we're doing and say, is this trellis work? Is this vine work? Is this necessary trellis work? What additional vine work could we be doing? In the amazing providence of God, and you can ask any one of the elders when you get a chance to see them, they'll relay the story to you. But the author of the book, who happens to be an Australian, is coming to the U.S. to conduct four seminars, one in Arizona, one in Washington, D.C., one in Chicago, and one in Minneapolis. And all kinds of churches are paying a lot of money to go to these seminars to, to, to work through this trellis vine kind of mindset and to evaluate, go back to the churches they're from and evaluate the way they're doing ministry. And we thought about going too. And then someone had the crazy idea, why don't we call the guy up and see if he'll come and do a private one here? And so we did. And he said, yes. He said, yes. He said, you know, actually, I've been doing this work down in, in Australia and New Zealand and down in there. I've been at it for more than a decade. We've seen great results. Want to bring it to the U.S., but never worked with the U.S. church before. So before I go and do all of these seminars, I would really love to, to be involved with a United States church, a U.S. church, and get some hands-on understanding of how you do ministry here in the U.S. So I would love to come to Foothill Bible Church for nine days, spend nine days with you, and observe your ministry and meet with some of your leaders and just talk about it. And, and yeah, I'd be happy to take you through the material that you would have paid a lot of money to come to the seminar for. So for less than the cost of the elders going to Arizona, he's coming here in October. You'll hear more. We're going to hand out copies of the book in some form or fashion. I want to encourage you to read it. But if we dig in, if we box ourselves in, fence ourselves off, this is my ministry, this is the way it's done, I've done it this way forever, at least a year, and it's not going to change. You know, the definition of insanity, right? You keep doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. So, anyway. Trellis and vine. You're going to hear that terminology used a lot, if you haven't already. These are some of the symptoms of pride. There are many, many more. I commend that little booklet to you. There's, there's several things you could read. Third diagnostic question really having to do with pride here today for us this morning, is how does pride harm us? How does it harm us? Okay, you've convinced me. I have the disease and, wow, actually, I, I think I might have a bad case. Actually, you probably do. So what will it do to me? How will it harm me? What's the pathology of it all? I just listed out a few things. Let me just roll them out for you. 
Pride makes us blind, deaf, and insensitive to our faults. It makes us blind, it makes us deaf, and it makes us insensitive to our faults. Remember we said earlier, I can see pride in you, no problem. It's like a great big thing sticking off the side of your face. And yet I have so much trouble seeing it in me. Kind of reminds me of leprosy. Leprosy, Hansen's disease. Right? You know, you've all seen pictures, no doubt, where people are missing fingers and toes and, and so forth. They've been afflicted with this terrible disease. And it's not actually the disease itself, by the way, that causes those things to happen. What it does is it, it deadens the nerves. And so they don't know when they burn themselves, cut themselves, mash their fingers, whatever. And then in secondary infections set in and, and so forth, and they begin losing digits. It makes them insensitive. That's the point. That's what pride does. Pride makes me insensitive. And, and so I hurt myself, but I don't even know I've hurt myself. I don't even feel it. It harms me. It harms me because it, it causes me to defend the indefensible. It causes me to defend the indefensible. It causes me to take up a position and die on a hill excuse me, that there's no need to die on. It's usually the hill of my own opinion, by the way. You know, pork chop hill, my opinion. I'm going to die there. And so when someone approaches you, you're not willing to make any concessions. It's this is the last front. I cannot cave here. I'm going to fight to the death. Anyone who's been around the church long enough has seen illustrations galore of people who will fight to the death for their own opinion over things of the most inconsequential nature. You'd think they were arguing over the doctrine of the Trinity, the way they get so riled up. And yet is nothing, nothing that brings shame to Christ. Causes us to defend the indefensible. Third, it damages and destroys relationships. Proverbs chapter 13 again, verse 10. Page 652. 13.10. Through presumption comes nothing but strife. But with those who receive counsel is wisdom. Pride gets in there and it, it separates relationships. It separates friends. They put their stakes in the ground and they won't back down. They destroy their own relationship. Probably the most frightening is that pride sets God against us. Pride sets God against us. James chapter 4 and verse 6. James 4, 6 said, God is opposed to the proud. He's opposed to the proud. Not passively opposed. Not, you know, I don't really like pride. It's not my preference. I wish you would do something else. That's not what it means when it says God is opposed to the proud. What it means is that God is actively and dead set opposed to pride and the proud. That alone should frighten us. Should frighten us. God is opposed to the proud. The creator of the universe, the one that holds our life in his hand, the one who could extinguish it like that, says in his word, and by the way, it's repeated more than one time. First Peter 5, 5, he says the same thing. It's quoted out of Proverbs. I believe it's 334. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We find ourselves with God actively working to undo us. And that takes me to the last harm of pride. The way it harms us is it leads to our undoing. It leads to our undoing. If God is against you, he is going to undo you. He is going to win. One should not seek to arm wrestle with his creator. Proverbs 16, 5. 
Listen, everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Assuredly, he will not go unpunished. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. By the way, when you're walking like this, especially when you have bifocals on, really hard to see what's in front of you. You're going to stumble. You're going to stumble. Proverbs 18, 12. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, but humility goes before honor. Listen again to C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity. Quote, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Very insightful, Mr. Lewis. Very insightful. When you are always looking down, you cannot see who or what is above you. Scriptures have spoken to us in a very strong way this morning. It hurts. Am I the only one, by the way, who's feeling a little wounded? Anybody else? Come on. Come on, come on, be honest with me. Yeah, yeah. I hate getting up in the morning and looking in the mirror. I used to look good when I was younger. Fortunately, my eyesight has faded, so now it just looks blurry. It's hard to get a good glimpse of your own heart, isn't it? Do you know what it says in Proverbs 15, 31? He who listens, listen to this. He who listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Let me translate that for you. He who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears, let him hear. God is opposed to the proud. He gives grace to the humble. May we flee to the cross of Jesus Christ. Beloved, that is our only hope. It is our only deliverance. As we go through this diagnostic together this morning, I know that you found yourself in the midst of this. I know that even though I don't even know all of you. I know it because I know the human condition. Also listed are many things that are true in my own life. You think it hurts you to hear it? <laughs> You should have felt what it was like to write it all down. I mean, pride is our enemy. It is there. And, it, and when we are willing to look at square in the face, by the grace of God, let's flee to the cross of Christ. It is our only hope. It is our only hope for proud sinners. Come to the cross of Jesus Christ. Receive forgiveness for your sin. Pardon for your iniquity. Know His life giving power experience the release of guilt that comes when you know that god is no longer hostile towards you the bible is very clear you come by faith it is not by works of righteousness it is not by things that we have done we do not need to clean ourselves up i need to become humble so i can come to jesus christ you fool you fool Come to the Savior and come now. Receive His pardon. Receive His release. We do so by faith. Even now, right where you are, as I pray here in a moment, you close your eyes and you call out to Christ. Oh, Jesus, you know my proud heart. You know how wicked it is. You, you know the thoughts that I have. You know the things I've done. I believe that you are the Son of God. And I believe that you came into this world to live a perfect life, the life that I cannot live. And I believe you died in my place to pay the penalty for my sin. 
And that I now, when I believe in you, when I embrace you by faith, I take you to be my Lord and my Savior. All of my wickedness is now accredited to you and punished there on that cross. And all of your righteousness becomes my gift. Oh, Jesus, be merciful to me, a sinner. Let's pray. Oh, God, our Father, your word has operated like a scalpel in our midst today. There is not a one of us, our Father, who was paying attention, who did not realize the magnitude of our own pride, the way it manifests itself in so many ways, those listed and many, many more that could be. And, O oh Lord, this is simply a reminder of our need for the Savior. O oh Lord, we flee to the cross of Jesus Christ. We ask you by your grace to enable us to repent of our sin and turn from our pride. To receive his cleansing and his pardon. The release. O oh Lord, may you grant a head of a hedge of protection to surround this fellowship in the days and weeks and months to come. Oh Lord, we are attempting to take on the enemy in his own ground as we attempt to plant a gospel-preaching church in Fontana. And oh Lord, we are not so naive to believe that the evil one will not push back. Protect this little church, O oh Lord. Protect it from us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.